You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. So, as we talked about before, 
that they would actually commit acts to the body that were unmentionable because they thought that the body had no value and what you did the body was important. And they thought that only spiritual was important, not realizing that the foolishness and the filth that they perpetrated in the body corrupted the spiritual. So Paul is reminding you, Corinthians, many of them who would have come out, most of them, I should say, would have come out of that lifestyle, that the spiritual is not first, it says in verse 46, but the natural, then the spiritual. And then he reminds him that the first man in verse 47, which is where we finished last week, the first man is from the earth and earth, the second man, the Lord Jesus Christ, is from heaven. And we talked about the fact that Adam originated on the earth and was in fact created from the dust of the the Lord Jesus Christ, the second man, descended from heaven, where he had reigned from eternity past with the Father, as the second person of the Trinity. He divested himself of all those privileges and became a became servant, obedient unto death, he says in the Romans. And so in verse 48, it says, As is the earthy, so are those, so also are those who are earthy, and as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. So just as Adam was of the earth, Earthy, so are all who came after him, earthy, that is, of the earth. As for those who have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ upon the resurrection, they will be heavenly, just as he is heavenly, or of heaven. Speaking in First uh, John, he says, we don't know what we're going to be like, but we, will be, we know who we'll be like, but we will see him as he is. This is a separation, and Paul is pointedly making it, that upon final resurrection, Corinthian believers... All of you guys who have been preaching that there's no resurrection, I'm correcting that. Now pay attention, he says. You will all become heavenly, that is of heaven. They are not now, we are not now. The spiritual is later. He's telling you the spiritual is later. Not that there isn't spiritual uh, value and spiritual happenings, but that they have gotten the order reversed. The body has to die to raise the grave and then be raised in the resurrection. And that's when the heavenly comes. Earthy is first. So he says in verse 49, and then I'll ask if there's any questions. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, the image of Adam, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. We will not be gods. There is one God. Three persons. But we will bear his image. The time is coming, Paul says, when all who bear the image of Adam and the earthly existence will put off that body. And will bear the image of the heavenly. That is the image of Christ. We don't know all what this means, but we can get something of a glimpse of it by looking at Jesus Christ in his post resurrection appearances to the apostles and disciples. He was able to move through walls and will. He was able to appear and disappear in distant places very quickly. He still ate and drank, and he spoke and looked the same, but he was remarkably different. And when he ascended into heaven, the apostles were absolutely astounded. So it shall be for us when we finally bear the image of the heaven. Our future lives will be marked with glory, delight, remarkable usefulness, and service to the eternal God. So what has been earthy, what has been our existence, will be done away with. And we will become what we were intended to be, which is good service of the Lord Jesus Christ, not flawed service of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Any questions about that? They'll have bodies too. It'll be a spiritual body. It'll be a spiritual, it'll be an eternal body, but it'll be subjected to eternal 
definition of something that other than it can be faithful truth that God is preaching about nowadays. People should be afraid of that. They should be terrified of that. If you're standing on I-90 at 5 o'clock, you should be really fearful for your life. <laughs> uh, that's a, this, it's, it's not, it's like, would you rather offend them now or watch them send you the abyss? Now there's a way to do it, and you might not do it, you know. Activity is a hammer when it's easy to work with. But nevertheless, we should be warning people. We should be letting we should the scripture speaks for itself everywhere. It speaks for itself. That oh, Jesus said there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. That does indicate that there'll be wise who are out here. They'll be able to wail, and that will be betrayed. And I don't want that for anybody. Anybody. My worst enemy will want no, I'm saying says more about the nature of the redeemed body for eternity than it does the body of the unredeemed yet. But it does affirm that the unredeemed get a body. Yes. So we are only we are only left to I think conjecture that that body will be fit for everlasting disgrace and destruction, just as our bodies will be fit for everlasting joy and delight. Um, so the capacity of that body will be different, but the, the duration of that body will not be. Good point. They will be fitted for destruction. God has fitted us in our current existence for a little life on planet Earth. And when we die and resurrect and go to be with Him, He will fit us our little body that will be perfectly suited for eternal existence in glory. And as Jim said, He will fit those those who are destined for eternal damnation with a body that will sustain that damnation forever. There will be no annihilation. That would be nice. More way, but it's not going to happen. Uh, a, a lot of people, there are Seventh day Adventists, and there are plenty of people who believe that that's I, I believe what we call cults, because most of them, and frankly, what it is, is they're so terrified of what is going to happen. They have to help God and they still believe that's not That they believe that the body will be annihilated. And I tried to explain to one, I said, no, it won't be annihilated. I said, if I stop on a light bulb that's no longer useful for the purpose of this intent, but the bulb still exists, that's not a great metaphor, but you got it. You agree. <laughs> so, we should be warning people. And Paul does that all through his, all through the epistles, he warns people. But he also reminds those who are destined for the heaven that the resurrection is going to be incredible. It's going to be a one. And then he says this he says, Now I say this, brother, that flesh and blood, Cannot, not might not, not may not, it's almost like shall not, cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. As John Wayne famous, famously said when a character in money in one of his movies died, he said, Everybody gets dead in his death. This is a fact of life, death that is. No one is going to make it out of this place alive unless they are in the Bible. By the time when Trump sounds and Christ comes to, to receive his, his own. But everyone who lives prior to that is going to make it to the grave. The problem is, of course, that as we are now constituted as the Corinthians were in their mortal bodies, we and they cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Um, all these people that say they, that's another reason why we can read now, I died and I was in heaven, but the perishable cannot. The, the flesh and blood cannot perish, be perishable, or be God. 
They were perishable, during these words, sorely, corruptible, and could not, could not inhabit a eternal, an eternal, incorruptible place. Someone not of the family, not of the world, cannot inherit anything that the dying resolve to pass on. So perishable humans in their corruptible lives cannot inherit the corruptible, the incorruptible, excuse me. Perishable humans in their corruptible lives cannot inherit the incorruptible. The phrase flesh and blood was a common one used in ancient times to indicate humanity. Paul was reminding the Corinthians about that humanity, about their humanity, about their flesh and bloodness, about their perishableness, perishableness, about their incorruptibleness. They had to be made different. They had to be made different. You know, the resurrection is going to occur. But when it happens, you're going to be different. You have to be made different. And that's what the final resurrection is all about. Uh, any questions? Everybody, everybody. We all get to die. But I don't know. It's, it's something that this one and I advance in some ways, in many ways, in less than worse. Uh, I really believe this. And I think you do too. There's there's much better coming. Much better coming. Now that doesn't mean we need to, to hurry along, but there's much better coming. Corinthians, perishable humans cannot inherit the perishable. But you're going to change. Now he says this Behold, this is where it's just this is the life. I tell this the best word of God. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. What follows here has never been revealed before. Paul is telling the Corinthians essentially a secret, a mystery. He uses the first person, but he does not necessarily mean this is going to happen in his lifetime, as it is a common method of describing things. Not everyone will die and be resurrected, but everyone will be changed from the earth to the heaven, from the perishable to the imperishable, as Jim pointed out, whether it's a glorified body or a damned body. Either one. We will be changed, everyone will be changed from earth to eternal. Now these things that he has been describing before, he has carefully documented each and every one of them, and he now applies it in this, which details the marvelous victory over death, that the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ conferred upon his church. That death, burial, and resurrection was the single most momentous happening in the history of the universe. His birth was wondrous. His death, burial, and resurrection was kind of happening. Sarus just ran out. Well, I'll be at your page and you're not going to open it. Well, it's that good. It's that one. It's that one. And then he says, in a moment, in a twinkling of the eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Well, Essentially, in the Greek mind, they understood that things were composed of much smaller and smaller particles. There was at some point a particle that we are, everything is composed of, it was not dividable. It was no longer, it was not available, it was not able to be divided any further. Now we know today that the atom has parts, but the essence of the idea was there. It was something that can't be cut in two, something that can't be divided, it is indivisible. Uh, no, not the modern indivisible. That kind of invisible can't be broken into smaller as you say moment. The word moment comes from the Greek word from which we get the word out. The Greeks believe that at a certain level, things could not be reduced any further, that is, they were indivisible. They call this an atom. We 
remarkably, they were pretty close because of the atomic level things are pretty small. The amount of time, by the way, that an eye takes to twinkle has been calculated about one billionth of a section of a second. One billionth of a second to twinkle the eye. The light entering and for you to observe it in that little flash thing. One billionth of a second. The rapture is going to occur very quickly. Very quickly. At the end of the church age, when the trumpet sounds, when that trumpet sounds, the dead will be raised and will be met in the air by those who went before them. All will be changed from their previous earthly existence to their new heavenly existence, from their previous perishable body to their new imperishable body, from their previous corruptible body, wicked, sinful body, to their new incorruptible, sinless body. First Thessalonians chapter 4, 16 and 17 says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Now, Paul, again, writes in the first person. It's a common way to write it. It happened in his time. But it's good for us, it's instructive for us to be of that mindset. It could happen any minute. Any, no, any billionth of a second, excuse me. Not any minute, any billionth of a second. It could happen. We all say, well, there's this and that, you know, that has to be fulfilled. But God works in twinklings and moments and atoms, as well as thousands of years. He is a sovereign in the universe. So we should be living like he's going to come back in any minute of a second. Or we should be working like we're going to be in a hundred years. And so that's what, one of the things he's trying to confer or, or communicate to the Corinthians. It's a mystery. That's probably why you were bowed up when I talked about verse 12, and you were improperly talking about no resurrection. There's no mystery there, Corinthians. Just as Christ went into the grave and came back out, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 6 as well. So will you, so shall you. You will go into the grave, you will come back out, a changed being. Any questions, any comments? Paul calls it the last trumpet. It's the last trumpet. I had it. I had time. Okay, I'll put it on next week. I don't have the time on it. Yeah, I know you're going. Yeah. Sometimes last is last. I put timeline on my things on my desk. I might even have it in the next section. I think I talked about that. We'll get to it. For this perishable must put on the imperishable. I don't have it memorized. I apologize. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. Thus, that which is perishable must and will put on that which is imperishable. The earthly will put on the heavenly, and that which is mortal, that is susceptible to death, will put on immortality, and no more be susceptible to death. For those undergoing the change, death will be no more. And so then Paul says, well, but this perishable will have put on imperishable, and this mortal will have put on mortality. Then we'll come by the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And when this happens, Paul says, that which was perishable and will have actually put on imperishability, that which was mortal and will have put on immortality. Then the saying Isaiah will have come to pass, will have come true. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8, where he says, 
is gone. No more. The time will be coming. But you won't have to worry about it. And he says the state of death is sin in verse 56. And the power of sin is the law. Death is not yet gone. But since power of sin is destroyed, and while death can still interrupt our lives, what it does now is usher us into the presence of the Savior. To be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. Also, to die is gain. To die is gain. To die is profit. To die is blessing. To die is plus. Paul said. <laughs> the law condemns us, and it reveals our inability to achieve salvation on our own because of our inability to know, or our lack of desire to obey the law. And it makes the sting of death a reality in our lives. If there were no law, there would be no sin. It is the law of God coming in and making us aware of our sinfulness that drives us to Christ. The law condemns all and makes all sinners in need of Savior. Why is it so important to make sure as we are preaching the gospel, we preach the full gospel, which the gospel, the law condemns sin. It condemns everything. None of us are righteous before God. None of us. We all want to have some little sliver of participating in whatever it is that we've done. There's no participation totally at all for salvation. It is the gift of God. Pure sin. The sin of death is sin. That's what we, we do. The power of sin is a law which confronts us, kills us. We, we know that we have lost. We are lost. But we understand it. And this Savior becomes in chains all that. And he says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory by our obedience and our sin. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ironically, ironically enough, it is a death that conquered the sin of death. Sin. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Victory is Christ because the elector is. That victory is theirs our well. Victory is Christ because the elect are his. That victory is theirs as well. But only because of what he did. Because of what we did. Not because of what the elect did. The Corinthians needed to see that all of us was tied together. The sting of death, which was sin, the law driving them to Christ, and their salvation resulted in an eternal future with Christ in heaven. Physically resurrected in their perfect bodies, much to the dismay of the Corinthian scholars. Resurrected in their physical bodies. Perfectly fitted bodies for eternity. The wrong teaching about the resurrection denies the final victory of the Lord Jesus Christ and that he has said that he went to prepare a place for us so that where he is, we will be also. And he meant physically in our resurrected bodies. The victory spoken of here is the victory over death and the grave, which results in our spirits being reunited with our resurrected bodies spent in eternity with Christ. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. That's the victory he's talking about. The victory over death, the victory over sin, Victory over being perishable, victory over being, being corruptible, victory over being sinful, and over being finally, absolutely, in Christ. Any questions?
will be dead for a thousand years. That's not the final end. There will be people who will die. And, but as Jim pointed out, I think last week, two weeks ago, some of them will be transferred, translated immediately. Because in that period, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, the, the one thing that no, nobody can answer, no matter what their eschatology is, yeah. when somebody dies during the millennium, what happens to them? What happens to them? Is there a resurrection at the end of the millennium that is not mentioned in scripture, or are they instantly translated during the millennial kingdom and resurrected in the glorified site at that point? That's that's something that we just can't answer. We, we do know, because Isaiah teaches that, that there will be people who die during the millennial kingdom, because going into the millennial kingdom, if our eschatology is correct, there will be perishable people and resurrected saints. So there won't be people who die during the millennium, but what happens to them, that we don't know. At the end of the millennium, that is what death is no more. Right. So for the eternal state, we are ruling over kingdoms or worlds or parts of the new creation that God gives to us. But so death, is, death is done at the end of the millennium. At the end of the millennium, death is finally cast into the lake of fire. That's why it's like the last last of the last seven. Absolutely, that's what I said. But not quite. I used it in the modern vernacular. Absolutely, you do not absolutely. I apologize for that. I, I should. First, I give you what a word means, and I just use it. I'm absolutely sorry about that. So, there will be gathered, as you pointed out. I, I personally, and this is just my opinion, I read others that have the same thing, they probably be changed But there's nothing in Scripture, not everything. There's still some issues. It's kind of like God, I tell them everything, but that's the mistake. So, you know, I'm not going to do that. So, there's some of them actually have babies, especially if they trust the world, after they trust the world. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, always is all the time, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So, in light of all of what I've just said, the imperishable will put on imperishability. That the corruptible will shed that and become incorruptible. That the sinful will become sinless. In, in light of all that Christ has done for you, is what he's saying. What has he done for you? What has he done for us? Everything. We can't quantify it. It's not quantifiable. And it won't be I don't think it's quantifiable in terms of it's it's something that every single every single creature that ever lived after that deserved an eternal death. He chose some to redeem. Why? I it would be nice to know if we have an answer to that. Well we didn't answer that. But it's just to glorify him. And so he says, because of the resurrection, because of the final victory over death and the grave, completed in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, there's that. So it was completed. It was final. We were seated at the right hand of the Father. Here we are, seated at the So if that, if that helps a little, that kind of absolutely. Paul encourages the fickle, immovable Corinthians to be steadfast. The joy conferred by the knowledge of eternity in heaven should drive them to the abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that everything they do will have an eternal consequence, both for themselves and for others, and will not be in vain. 
The two words steadfast and immovable are a good pair. Steadfast. I saw somebody said the other day, well, I'm not going to do that ever. City, sedentary, firm, immovable, steadfast. It's the picture of someone sitting and, and they've planted themselves and they can't move. I don't know, maybe they're sure they're holding the ground. Steadfast, firm, in, in a moral sense, fixed, firm in purpose, well stationed, not given to fluctuation or moving off course, given to every wind of doctrine. Later on, Paul talks about it. To be steadfast and just to be seated firmly with the idea here of being firmly situated and being comfortable, comfortable in that situation. Movable, not to be moved from its place. Unmoved. Firmly persistent. Firmly persistent. Are we firmly persistent in our faith? No, that's my point for that, sir. Here's what the scripture says. To be immovable is to be fixed and persistent. It comes from the idea of being motionless because of being anchored well. Our anchor is the Word of God. And applied daily in our lives by the Holy Spirit, it is the finished work of Christ, and it is the finished, sufficient Word of God. Because of their steadfastness and immovable ability, the Corinthians were to abound in the Word of the Lord. And the Word abound, another good one. So much stuff I had to put in smaller. Can you see that? Okay. To overflow. He poured the cup. We've got a picture. The Holy Spirit is the picture. If I can come up with an analogy. And the cup is here. And he's pouring. And it just overflows. Overflows. And it's a picture that never, never ends. So we should be overflowing, abounding in the work of the Lord. Which would exceed, it exceeds the fixed number of things. The Greeks were really persistent about measurements and, and about correctness. And this is something that just flows over and just wipes it away. It bounds the tape anymore because it's so exuberant and abundant. To abound is to exceed the requirements placed upon one. Scripture teaches that an unprofitable servant is one who does just what's expected of him. A profitable servant. Is one who goes above and beyond, anticipating, planning, joyfully executing far more than was desired. A servant who knows the idiosyncrasies and the desires of his Lord and has plans to meet them well beyond what the Lord is expecting. Now, we can't do that because God knows everything. But the point is, we should be the kind, and the Corinthians should be the kind of people that were overflowing, doing things that they anticipated. This is what husbands should be doing for their wives. They should be abounding in service and serving and usefulness to them so that they anticipate their needs. This is what children should do for each other. This is what Christians should do for one another. This is what we should do for the unbelievers. We should anticipate their needs. Figure out what we can do to meet their needs before they need even know they have them. Um, it's it's uh, overflowing the requirements placed on them. Which of you, Jesus said, after a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come and eat, and sit down and eat. But will they not say to him, Prepare something for me to eat, and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you may eat and drink. And that was proper. That wasn't arrogant. That wasn't. Unfeeling, that wasn't, that's what, that's how things worked. 
He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have only done that which we ought to have done. Let us never be people who only do that which we ought to have done. Corinthians, abound in the work of the Lord. Look what he's done for you. And people who you can, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, by your study of Scripture, to abound in his work. Christ has given us eternity. He's given us joy. He's given us blessings. He's given us usefulness. And we deserve none of these. To be a profitable, abounding servant requires toil and sometimes hardship. The notion here is that our service is never over until death takes us. People have asked me when I'm going to quit. I say, when the very thing takes, that's when I'm going to quit. We should be useful from our last breath. <laughs> when we can say, when can we say, I should say, we have satisfied what God has in store for us. We have satisfied the requirements God has for us in our work here. While we breathe, our work is not done. So Christ returns that our souls to be saved, work to be trucked done, truth to be taught, books to be written. written. There is no end to the work that can be done to bring the glory of God to this dying world. And Paul encouraged the Corinthians that during this work, they were to be fully assured that the work that they did was not in vain. It would not be in vain. It would be for an eternal, it would have eternal consequences. <coughs> Believe in the resurrection. More important, believe in the word, in the work, and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will not be disappointed. There is nothing done, he said, that will not be rewarded tenfold, thirtyfold, or a hundredfold. He has said it, and so it is. And so ends the most wonderful chapter, possibly, of Scripture in our lives. And I say that with somewhat with tongue in cheek because it's all profitable for doctrine. People of God will be useful in the work of God. But this is just, this it describes probably the best one dealing with the resurrection and, and its implications. Paul opens this chapter defending the gospel and making it known to them again. The same gospel he preached to them previously, the same gospel they heard from the other apostles, the same gospel they heard from Paul's, the same gospel they heard from anybody who properly preach the gospel to them or, or expound the scriptures to them. It reminds them that they're standing in that gospel, of their standing in that gospel, and of the post-resurrection appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ. He details it to, to Peter, to John, to James, to the disciples, uh, to Thomas. He is preparing the way for the argument he is about to present against those who would teach that there was no resurrection. Christ appeared again and again to those who saw him die. He then appeared to Paul, who spent the rest of his life abounding in the work of the Lord. In verse 12 on, Paul builds an argument, a didactic teaching showing that not only is the resurrection of Christ true, but with the resurrection of Christ, every elected Christian resurrects his life. Everyone who God has conferred salvation will resurrect as well to a body of united with the spirit and glorify God for eternity. The life to come in the is the resurrection. The life to come is far more wondrous than the one being that far more far more incredible than what we live in now in Corinthians. He 
He lists seven reasons that show the folly of not believing in the resurrection from the dead. He defines and describes what the resurrection body will be like and what it won't be like. And he finishes with a, with a flourish, poetically dismissing death and its sting. Because of all of this, Paul reminds the Corinthians that a life of service to Christ and the Father by obedience to the Holy Spirit, the agency of the Holy Spirit, is a life that will not be in vain and that will be rewarded. This then should prompt the Corinthians to abandon the false idea of no resurrection and press forward in service to the Lord who saved them. And I will say that today it is the same. And it has been every generation from that first from the beginning of the church. But as we understand that Christ has done for us, through no work of our own, through no fault of our own, no reason. Other than his love to the glorified Father. We understand that. We understand that. He will reward which our lives will not be in vain. Sometimes it might seem like returning the scriptures. What does the scripture say? Nothing will be done not in vain. The work of the Lord is bound not in vain. That says return to the scriptures. Don't let don't let your emotions or your thoughts compete truth of the word of God. Too much that happens today. We think we know things. Prepare to the finished sufficient word of God. The word of God. The truth is here. The truth is not in your upset stomach. Which is often what prompts some of the silly, the silly things that people believe. Paul says, press forward about the word of the Lord that you will not believe in life. Any questions or comments about that? Every one of you here, every one of us here, as we serve the Lord, as we look for ways to honor and glorify Him, is building treasures in heaven, Jesus said. But moth does not destroy it, corruption can occur. Nothing will be taken. It is, a, it is a, a reward that God tends to give to His people. But of course, we will want to lay it back to His Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. salvation for each and every person who has just trusted Christ. Thank you that it didn't have to be a work of our own for that to be possible. It would never be ever. But because of your desire to love, to give, you gave us your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Paul indicates to you this entire chapter, the resurrection of Christ changed everything. Now what we do in obedience to the Holy Spirit Direct to the scripture as eternal consequence. We want to do all those things that we are gifted to do the foundation of the earth, the works that you prepared for us, so we can your glory as we are. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.